title of this message is Dropping Stones. Have you ever paused after reading about Jesus in the Gospels and marveled at how radical, how different Jesus was from anyone you've ever met? Some Christian authors have called this the absolute otherness of Jesus. He is absolutely set apart in his attitudes and his actions toward us, especially to undeserving sinful men and women, which we all are. Just when people thought they had him figured out and pinned in a corner, he would totally take them off guard by his words and his actions. Jesus was constantly surprising his followers and frustrating his enemies. Did you know that one of Jesus' titles is Advocate? This is a title more frequently given to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. But 1 John 2.1, we read, My little children, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. John said, I've written to you that you don't sin. You're in Christ now. You're to live a different life. But if any man stumble or sin, know this. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is an advocate? Well, that comes from the Greek word parakletos. Parakletos. And it means this. It means summoned, called to one side, especially called to one's aid. One who pleads another's cause before a judge, a pleader, a counsel for defense, a legal assistant, an advocate, one who pleads another's cause with one, an intercessor. It's a defense attorney. That's another definition of it. Jesus is our advocate. He's the one that comes alongside of us when no one else is standing with us. He's the one who defends us before the Father when we are accused. Thank God that He comes to the side of the one who's fallen to bring them help. He pleads the cause of sinners who are cast down. Unlike other attorneys, Jesus doesn't try to prove our innocence with clever arguments. You know, call this phone number and you can be defended and you can get this big pot of money settlement. Even if you're guilty or not guilty, we don't care. Just call us. One call, right? (laughs) No, Jesus is not standing there to defend our innocence or try to prove that we are okay and that we're right and that we're good. No, he knows that we're sinful. He knows our sins before his his Holy Father. He pleads his own innocent sacrifice, his own perfect sacrifice. That is the basis on which we are set free. That is the basis on which we are acquitted before God. He argues that repentant sinners can be acquitted and released based on his sacrifice. In Genesis 4, 4, and 5, it's interesting. Both Abel and Cain, remember the first children of Adam and Eve. Cain was the firstborn. Both Abel and Cain brought sacrifices to present to God. You'll remember, by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than his brother. He offered a blood sacrifice. Remember, Cain brought of the fruits of the ground. And it says, And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, But unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect, or he didn't respect. Listen, this is very important. God saw the men and their offerings as one. Unto Abel and his offering, God had respect. Unto Cain and his offering, he had not respect. He saw their offerings as one. Abel's offering pointed to the final and only perfect offering of the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. Cain's offering was a type of man's own works. Remember? What did they do when they sinned? They took leaves, right? Fig leaves. 
to cover their nakedness because they realized they were naked, they were ashamed. But what did God do? God offered the first sacrifice when He clothed them with animal skins. Remember? There was a blood sacrifice. Without blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. All those animal sacrifices simply were a type and a shadow pointing to the true sacrifice that could take away sins, that could cleanse a guilty conscience. Cain's offering was man's works, the religious works of the flesh. I'm going to prove myself to God. You know that men do that every day? Try to show that they're good enough? Listen, God says no one is good enough. No, not one. That's why Christ came. He was the perfect sacrifice. And when we trust in His offering, God sees us as one with His perfect Son. Praise God. While Jesus comes to our aid as our helper, as our defense attorney, as our advocate, Satan comes to resist us as our accuser, as our prosecuting attorney. He sees men languishing in the gutter of their sin. And what does Satan do? He flies to rub their face in their shame. How opposite of our blessed, absolutely other parakletos, Jesus Christ. He comes to cleanse us and to lift us back to our feet so we can serve God in the freedom of His Spirit. Revelation 12.10 says, And I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Who is the accuser of the brethren? Satan. Satan. His name means to resist or resister. He is the accuser. He's the one always looking for fault. Always criticizing. He stands before God day and night and he says, look at what they did, God. They say they love you, but they failed and they sinned. They broke your holy law. God, how can you put up with this? You're holy and just God. That's what the devil does. Day and night accusing us. But Jesus rises from his seat at the right hand of God and he points to his nail-scarred hands and feet. The enemy must flee at the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And friends, the day is coming when the accuser will finally and forever be cast down, thrown into the lake of fire. Any voice you hear in your head that is accusing and condemning is not the voice of God. The voice of the Spirit will convict you. He will show you your sin. But it's not condemnation. It's to bring you back to the mercy seat of God. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. It says... Now, we're going to talk about a man named Joshua, not Joshua, uh, Moses' assistant, who led the children of Israel into the promised land. This was a different Joshua, the high priest in the time of Zechariah, and he was trying to rebuild the work of God. And it says in verse 1, And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused your iniquity or your sin to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment or new clothes, clean clothes. Listen to this. The stage is set in heaven. And this is a vision of Zechariah, and he saw Joshua, his companion in this work and service for God, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing right next to him to resist him, to accuse him. And the Lord said unto Satan, listen, I believe this is Christ. This is the pre-incarnate Christ. It says, and the Lord 
said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee. Why would the father say to Satan, God rebuke you? It's Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ saying, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Isn't this a brand plucked out of the fire? What is that? What is a brand plucked out of the fire? The brand was just, it was like a poker stick used to prod the coals. To ton of, You never sit by a fire and it starts to die down and you want to just get those flames going again and you poke the coals and you move the logs around? That's what a brand is. That's the, the Hebrew word for it. And it was like this, this poker stick. We have these marshmallow sticks. They're kind of like poker sticks at our fireplace at home and the kids like to roast marshmallows. Well, if you leave it in the fire, even in those coals, what happens? Well, the poker stick gets burned. The whole thing will go up in flames, right? That's what Joshua was. He was trying to work for God's kingdom. He was working to build the kingdom of God, to stir up revival fire, to bring God's people back to God. And in the process of it, he gotten burned out. He was like a poker stick laying in the fire and God said, I pulled him out of the fire. This is my servant. And yes, he's struggled. And yes, he's burnt. And yes, there's, there's sin in his life, but he's not a man living willfully in sin. He's a man fighting and struggling against his sinful passions. And the devil's there saying, look at his failures, look at his sins. And the Lord stands up and says, no, this is one that I plucked out of the fire. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And what did he do? He came to Joshua when what? Joshua was strong, when Joshua was perfect, when Joshua was great. No, he came when Joshua was at his lowest point. He came when Joshua felt defeated. He saw his sin. He was clothed in filthy garments. And God said, I'm taking away your filthy garments. I'm clothing you with clean garments. I'm going to restore you. That's what Christ does. He comes alongside as an advocate. When everybody else is going out, when everybody else is silent, when everybody else is turned away, Christ comes into that one who has lost strength and lost hope and feels unworthy. And he says, I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to stand with you, even though you don't deserve it. That's the mercy of God, friends. That's this incredible, absolutely other Christ that we serve. I can't understand it, but I am so thankful for it. I'm so thankful that he's our advocate. The devil says, why go on? Look at the law. You've broken the law. You've disappointed God. You're a complete failure. God has quit on you. God's given up on you, and he should have, right? And you say, yeah, he should. He should give up on me. But then comes Jesus and says, no, I'm not quitting. I'm lifting you out. I'm cleansing you. I'm washing you. I'm giving you new strength. Turn to John chapter 8 if you're following along. John chapter 8 verse 3. How can you see this Jesus and not fall in love with him? How can you see his heart and not be in awe of who he is? Here we're going to see the accuser and the advocate in court again. But this time Satan is not coming as himself. He's coming and he's speaking through human vessels. Verse 3, And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto Jesus a woman caught or taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Do you see this? I want you to see this picture here. Jesus is in the temple and he's teaching. And all of a sudden this crowd kind of gathers and these Pharisees gather along and he sees them dragging this person. And it's a woman. And they drag this woman into the middle of the area and they say, Jesus, something just came to our attention, baloney. You guys set this up. You set this up to trap Jesus. But where's the man? That's what I want to know. Where's the man? The law was execution, right? Capital punishment for adulterers. Where's the man? He was probably one of them. They set it up. Here they drag this poor woman. 
And they said, she was caught in the act. In the very act, Jesus. We know she's a sinner. There's no question. There's no doubt. And Moses, look, Jesus, we know that you, you're a teacher of the law. He commanded us that such should be stoned. See, they pinned him in with this perfect argument, this perfect situation. They knew that he had compassion and he loved sinners. He healed people. They were going to catch him. They were going to trap him. What do you say, Jesus? Moses commanded us to stone her. What do you say? This they said, verse 6, tempting him, that they might have what? To accuse him. Same Greek word for Satan, the accuser of the brethren. You see how the accuser is now working through men. Religious men. Religious men. But Jesus stooped down, and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. Wouldn't you like to know what he was writing? He acted as if he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, Jesus, look, the woman caught in adultery. Moses commanded that we stone her. It says, he lifted himself up. The advocate standing to defend. He lifted himself up and said to them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted himself up, he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, Woman, where are your accusers? Hath no one condemned you? And she said, No man, Lord. And he said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Listen, this blows me away. This is a radical thing that Jesus did, showing radical mercy to this woman who had no standing but to be judged. Do you hear the voice of the accuser? You see these, these Pharisees, these scribes, using the word of God for judgment? Friend, there are people in the church that do it today. I've done it. Using the word of God the wrong way? Look at how they use the word to condemn this woman. Friends, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. They were doing what the accuser does. When they kept pressing him, he lifted himself up. He stood up in mercy for this helpless, sinful woman. Jesus said, listen, if you're going to judge and condemn, be sure one thing, that you have no sin in your life. Be sure that you are perfect. Can you hear the stones dropping? One by one, they drop their accusations. From the oldest downward, their judgments, they drop their stones. Jesus' words made them search themselves. And that, what did they find when they searched themselves? Sin. Their own guilt of their own past. Right? Then they were left alone. Just Jesus and the woman. The only one without sin. Standing with her alone. No accusers. Just Jesus. The only one who had a right to condemn her and pick the stone back up was Jesus. But he left it on the ground. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Praise God. Jesus didn't minimize her sin. He met her with mercy in the midst of her sin. Know this. He met her with mercy in the midst of her sin. He didn't say, get cleaned up and then maybe I'll show you mercy. He met her where she was. Not with judgment. It was his incredible, radical mercy that gave her the desire and the power to leave her sin. This is what James meant when he said, mercy triumphs over judgment. 
Mercy, the Greek word is rejoices or boasts over judgment. See, mercy does what judgment can't do. You can judge someone with the word of God and with the law all day. It won't change them. It can't change them. It can't change me. But the mercy of Christ, it boasts and says, I've got the victory over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You see, the legalist, the little Pharisee inside of us says, but wait, if we preach too much love, people will just run off and be sinning like crazy and it'll just be, it'll be chaos and pandemonium. Let me tell you something. If we preach the true love and grace of Jesus Christ, his true mercy and we live it, you'll have the holiest church possible on the face of this planet. You'll have people walking in love, people walking in righteousness, not because the law is over them to judge them, but because the mercy of God and the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. God's kindness leads to what? Repentance. God's kindness. His goodness leads us to turn from sin. Imagine if believers in Jesus sought to live as advocates for each other and and for unbelievers. Too often we're more like the scribes and the Pharisees who've adopted the accuser's ways. It's been said that Christians are the only ones who will shoot their own wounded in battle. You ever heard that? It's time to drop our stones and pour in the oil and the wine. Time to repent of judging each other instead of running to help our wounded. James 3.2 in the ESV says, For we all stumble in many things. What does that mean? It means even the Christian who's trying to walk in the Spirit and follow God, they still stumble in many things. He's referring to uh, sinning with the tongue and, and errors with the mouth. But we all stumble in many things. Isn't that true if we're all honest with each other? No matter how much you want to serve God and live for Him, you still blow it sometimes. You still make mistakes. You can't stand before God and say, I have no sin. First John says, if any man says he has no sin, he's a liar. Truth isn't in him. Right? I'm not talking about living carelessly and willfully in sin. I'm just talking about living against in this sinful flesh that we live in, in the daily battle we, we live in. Right? There's days that I'm not as loving as I should be to my wife and I'm harsh toward her. Right? I might, say, I might be selfish with my kids sometimes. They want me to listen to them and I'm too busy. We all stumble in many things. We should be advocates for each other as Jesus is. Interceding for each other. Covering each other's offenses in love. James 4, 4 through 12 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. You're standing over the law. Listen, there's a chair you can't climb up in, and that's the judgment seat. Don't make yourself a judge. That's what James is saying. Don't speak evil of one another. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you that you judge another? God's saying, who do you think you are? Taking the judgment seat. Romans 14.4 says, Who art thou that thou judgest another man's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. Think about that. Who are you that you judge another man's servant? I'm an employer. I have six employees with my summer helpers. Imagine if I'm on the job doing a job and uh, the electrician, the owner, you know, I'm a general contractor and the electrician comes over and starts telling my guys that they're screwing up or yelling at my guys and telling them to do something differently. No, they need to come to me. You don't judge another man's servant. That's what God is saying here. He's saying, this is my servant. Why are you judging them? You're in the wrong position. Who are you that you judge another man's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. That's before God, he stands or falls. And he says, yea, he shall be holding up for God is able to make him stand. See, that's the heart of God. That's Jesus, the advocate, coming in to make us stand, coming in when we've fallen, to raise us back up and say, let's, son, daughter, follow me. I'm going to wash you. 
Let's keep going. I've got more to teach you. When we judge a brother or sister, we are in opposition to God. We should instead join God, join him in his purpose to help his servants stand. Verse 10 says, but why do you judge your brother? Why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Do you know how you can know if you're judging your brother? Just, I don't need them in my life. I just set them aside. Just push them in the corner. You know, I'm not going to hurt them. I just, I don't need them. Why do you set it not your brother? Verse 13 says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. In other words, let's stop judging each other. Let's stop. Now, some of you may say, you know what? I'm not going to condemn somebody to die. I'm not going to be that harsh. You know, hey, this is a big rock. This will do some damage, right? But what if it's just little things like little rocks? You know, I don't like his clothes. He always wears that. He overdresses, makes me feel uncomfortable. Don't we do that sometimes? We're just critical of other people in the church, outside the church. Listen, we can speak evil of each other. You know, that might not kill him, but it's going to have a negative effect over time. It's going to hurt him. Maybe if I got a little bit bigger rocks and threw him a little harder, they have more impact. We judge others by speaking evil, but judgment really begins in the heart, in our thoughts. We judge by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. James rebukes the church for a sin he likens, listen, to adultery and murder. You never hear about this, very rarely from the pulpit. He says, you show partiality in the church. You become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, he says, your wrong thoughts are turning you into judges with evil thoughts. James 2 and 3 ESV says, you judge people by their status, by their clothing, and you push them away from you and you put them beneath you. Listen to the verse. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, comes in through the door of your church, and a poor man in shabby And actually, the King James says, in filthy raiment or filthy clothes, what was Joshua wearing when the accuser was accusing him? You remember? Filthy garments. So a person, a man comes into your church. One comes in, he's got a gold ring. I mean, he's dressed. He's dressed well. Fine-looking man. And a poor man comes in too with shabby, filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, hey, I've got a great seat for you over here. You sit in a good place. While you say to the poor man, "Uh, you stand over there, kind of in the back, you kind of stink. (laughs) Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, we don't think we do this. I think we do it a lot more than we admit. You heard of gyms advertising themselves as judgment-free zones? Why, why, Why would they say that? Why would they say that? Why? Because many people avoid the gym. Why? Because they don't want to be judged. Isn't that true? They don't want to be judged because of how out of shape they are. They don't want to be judged because of the clothing that they're wearing and someone else has got cooler gym clothes. They don't want to walk into the area with the free weights or the machines and not know how to use them. And somebody says, hey man, what are you doing? That is totally wrong. Let me show you. Right? People don't want to be judged. So they avoid the gym. That's why we have judgment-free zones, right? And gym zones like that. There are people that don't come to church because they don't want to be judged. Right? It's kind of funny, the gym thing, but it's true. Isn't there a parallel? People don't come into church because believers are not acting like advocates saying, hey man, I'm looking past your sin. I'm not even looking at your sin. I'm just loving you with Christ's love. I'm going to let God deal with your sin. Imagine a church full of people that were advocates, that acted like Jesus did to that woman. Guys, there's story after story of Jesus doing similar things, Right? The woman who came and wept at Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her tears and oil, alabaster oil, and 
the man said to himself, Simon, the good Pharisee who was dressed good said, man, he thought to himself, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is, that she's a sinner. He wouldn't be letting her touch him like that. Guess what? Jesus knew not only the sins that Simon knew about, her reputation as a loose woman, he knew that and he knew everything else. All the sins that Simon didn't know. And yet he did not condemn her. He did not judge her. That woman was changed by the love of God. I don't think she went continued on in her sin. I really don't. She was changed. Imagine if we receive people the way Christ receives them, through his sacrifice. Remember, he sees the person and the sacrifice as one. He sees you and he sees me through Christ's sacrifice. He doesn't see the sin you're struggling with. I mean, he knows it's there. But that's not how he judges you. It's not how he judges me. He receives us through the sacrifice of Christ. That's awesome. And the devil is there to accuse you. You know this verse, 2 Corinthians 10, it says, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Listen, the Christian life is a battle. And it's a battle in the mind. If you've walked with Christ for more than six months, you know there's a battle in the mind. The devil's throwing darts into your mind. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And you have a choice. You have your own thoughts too. You have a choice what thoughts you're going to believe. The Bible says, cast down imaginations. If it doesn't line up with God's word, cast it down. Take authority by the word of God. Don't believe the lies that you were told when you were a kid. You're going to amount to nothing or you're no good or whatever it was. Don't give in to that fear. Don't give in to that lust. Listen, we can say, oh, I know that that lustful thought that I had, I need to cast that down. That thought of fear what if this happens? I need to cast that down, right? We know that those are thoughts to cast down. What about the thoughts of critical thoughts and judgments toward other people? Do you think we should cast those down? I think we should cast those down. That's what God's word is saying. That's what James is saying. Yes, cast down. Don't judge. Romans 15, 7, I love this verse. Paul said, receive one another as Christ received us to the glory of God. We receive each other because Christ says, God's word says you're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. In Christ, not only can I claim that for myself, but I can claim it for each one of you that has put their faith in Jesus Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, I know I'm ahead of my notes here, but he said, we don't regard anyone any longer after the flesh. In other words, I don't look at Daniel and say, you know, I like him because I really like his hair. It reminds me of my dad. I like his looks. And he had, you know, he's, got, he's kind of personable. I like him because of this. Or I don't like him because of that. We don't regard each other, receive each other because of the flesh. We receive each other because we are new creatures in Christ. Because we're children of the living God. We don't look at each other's faults. Does that mean we just ignore them? Somebody's going to say, what if I see my brother sin? Are you saying, Aaron, that we just go along and we say, I, I'm not judging. I'm, I'm just not going to judge my brother. I know he's going away from God. I know he's going in the wrong direction, but I'm not judging. No, that's not what I'm saying. If you see your brother's sin, should you just ignore it? No. Advocate for them first in prayer. Advocate for them in prayer. You see me and, I, and you say, boy, that guy, sometimes he's kind of impatient. We all stumble in many things. Is that something you should jump on me and say, Aaron, man, you got to work on this impatience thing. Repent, brother. Man, what would the church be like if we were all doing that all the time? No, you see a brother, we in love as Jesus did. We come alongside, we pray, we say, God, I don't think that's worth me talking to him about right now. I'm going to pray for him. You see a pattern of it and you have a relationship with me that's close enough that maybe we're friends and you can come to me and say, hey, I just want to tell you I'm praying for you and something I see in your life and 
I just want to just bring this to your attention. And can we pray about this? That's good. That's good. You're coming in love. First John 5 says, If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask. In other words, he shall pray, and he or God shall give him life for those that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. So the first thing we do if we see our brother going astray, if I, if I have a friend and he says, I've got this lust issue and I keep, every month I go back to pornography. Well, I could just come on him with a law and with a landing and be like, man, what are you doing? You can't do this. That would be not like Christ. Or I can say, man, I struggle with lust too. Let's pray together. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to intercede for you that we and you find victory through Christ. Do you understand the difference? That's an advocate that's coming alongside with mercy. What if I see my brother sin? First pray. What if it's something really serious? I'm not in any way saying we cover up things that are criminal, right? We know that there's a large church organization that's covered up many crimes. That's wrong. Children being abused, that is wrong. That should have been going to the authorities, right? That's not what I'm talking about. There are occasions where we need to do more than pray. But that means there's times where we have to talk to the person, speak to them. And sometimes there's church discipline. You can look that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 on your own time. But listen, sometimes we need to go to someone. Listen, but be ever so careful that you first repent of any log of self-righteousness in your own eye. Right? Before you go and help your brother remove the speck in their eye. Go in humility. Listen to Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if a man is overtaken in a fault... You which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. How are you to go? If you have to correct someone, and there will be times in your life that you do need to, how do you do it? In a spirit of meekness, with Christ's spirit, with gentleness, saying, hey man, I'm not here to pound you into the ground. I'm here to encourage you and to lift you up. I'm here to weep with you and to pray with you. That's how we restore someone. In a spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Hey, we are all capable of sinning and falling, right? If you think in your mind, oh, I would never do that. I could never sin like that. Watch out. You're setting yourself up for that exact same fall. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Get uh, get down there with them and help them carry the load. That's the heart and spirit of Christ. We need a, a mindset change. Listen, some of you are here today. And when I start talking about uh, judging others, maybe I didn't see this, but maybe there was like elbow to your spouse. Honey, this is your area. (laughs) Right? Don't do that or repent of doing that. Let the Holy Spirit examine you. Right? When you hear the Word of God, don't think of somebody else. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I want to challenge you today, this next week. Ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to see how often you judge other people in your thoughts and with your words. Ask him to show you. Listen, this is not to condemn you. I am guilty of this probably more than anyone else here. But God has been merciful to me. And he's showing me the heart and character of Jesus Christ. I want to close with this. I was in a meeting, a leadership meeting with other pastors. And this guest pastor speaker from Baton Rouge, Louisiana came. And I had never heard him speak before. I've been in the church a long time. was raised in the church been in a lot of meetings. And, you know, it was a, kind of a smaller family-style church, similar to this. In the beginning of the service, they passed around the microphone just for people to share testimonies of what God's doing in their life, kind of like praise reports. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And so people, the, the microphones start going around, and 
And it stopped at this woman, and she's probably in her mid-20s, had a couple little kids, and she started talking. And, and I've been a pastor for a long time, so I've, I've done that, where I'm the one you know, kind of moderating with the, with the microphone. But I wasn't. I was just there as a guest. And this woman started talking about all her problems. And she kind of droned on, and it was, I'm just thinking, oh, my word, self-pity, oh, my gosh. And then she started kind of implying like the church wasn't helping her enough. So she's kind of being a little bit like, ah, you know, and I kind of was hoping I'd get some more help with this. And, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, just take that microphone away from her. That's what I was thinking. Just being honest. I was like, oh, my word. And this guest pastor came when he got up to speak. I never saw anything like this in all my life. He said, we need to go to this woman and pray for her. And it wasn't put on. It wasn't fake. It was genuine love poured into this woman. And he prayed for her in her sin. Yeah, well, she was complaining. She was grumbling. She was probably gossiping a little bit right in front of everybody. And he went in with the mercy of God. I have never seen that before. Not like that. And it struck me to the heart. I said, oh, God. I am such a Pharisee. I am such a hypocrite. I judge more than I love. And I've watched this man's life. He's not perfect. He's very humble. But I see something in him, which is Christ coming alongside people as an advocate. He said, if you're in my church and you're struggling with sin, he said, I will never cast you out. He's not talking about someone that wants to live willfully in sin. Someone who's struggling said, he said, I will get down with you on my knees. I will weep with you. I will hold you. We will get through this together. That's what I want to be like. That's what Jesus Christ is like. He's an advocate. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are such a good, good father. I thank you, God, that though we sin and we judge others, and we do things that displease you, and we do things we're even blind to so many times, you still love us, God. But God, that doesn't mean you want to leave us where we're at. You come to change us, Lord, because you want us to become more like your Son. You want us to reflect the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us this week, that this message would resonate and regurgitate in people's minds. That they'd be challenged when they open your word, that they'd be challenged when they think thoughts about other people. Are they, are they setting people at naught? Are they pushing people away or under their feet? Or are they drawing them to Jesus by your mercy?